Hello and welcome to another episode of The Clever Kids. This is a weekly podcast where three brothers take a look at a topic from popular culture that you may or may not care about. My name's Tyler. And my name's Jeff. For the Rick and Morty fans, now it's just two brothers. It's just called Two Brothers. Yep, and uh, Brian is actually here. He's just off mic, silent, listening, observing, uh, taking notes, actually. Um, we've kind of moved him into the role of an off mic producer. We didn't like a lot of his opinions. Um, we felt like he was being kind of racist. So we took, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that got too far. He's going to be upset if he hears that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, this week, um, Jeff and I are going to talk about uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. We kind of have both like non-spoiler reviewed this movie already, um, but it came out on like for purchase this last week and both of us rewatched it and i personally rewatched it last night for the third time uh so well i've seen it now three times i didn't watch it three times since it came out this week that'd be crazy only twice um and yeah so i just wanted to i just i really like it and i want to talk about it so i'm gonna make jeff do it with me um do you want to do just like a quick do we no, yeah we're just going right into the spoilers right because we both have already been like yeah everybody should go see this right <coughs> yeah non-spoiler review go see it and then listen yeah. to this podcast yeah i mean I, honestly i don't even know if you can explain this movie without spoiling and honestly right. i don't know if we can even explain this movie if i'm honest <laughs> so if you haven't seen it this is going to be a very uh bewildering experience for you um because this movie isn't really doesn't lend itself to like i, I don't like an explanation really because it, it's just it's very strange but it's very good anyway do you want to start with any notes that you have or thoughts um yeah i mean i this movie lands in so many different ways this this movie the reason why we're covering it now even though it's been out for months and we've talked about it in the past um is that it left a like significant impression on both of us just in the way that it was made in the writing in the direction the acting the choreography there's just so many things uh, i'm sure tyler's going to talk about the um costuming is there a word for costuming i don't know um and i don't know there's, there's just a lot in this film that they did so well um for it to take such a simplistic story and tell it in the most complicated way and have it end up being <laughs> beautiful in my mind. Yeah. So quickly, um, breakdown of, of, of uh, cast and crew uh, directed by the Daniels, which is Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner. Um, they're kind of a collective duo. They've known for making um doing a lot of tv work and then also swiss army man is like their biggest like film output um to date uh that was starring uh the riddler what's that guy's name uh, paul dano oh. um and uh harry potter himself daniel radcliffe is his name right yeah and um basically i don't know if anyone's seen that movie it is very strange um but yeah, so they're they're known for strange movies. It stars Michelle Yeoh, Stephanie Su, and Kihai Kwan, which is a short round from Indiana Jones. And then, uh, what do they call him? Data from Goonies? Is that what his name was in Goonies? I don't know. Um, 
But he basically, after being in those two 80s classics, he kind of just like just got ignored by um by hollywood and went off and like went and did like martial arts choreography in for like foreign films and um basically moved back to america and quit acting and then saw michelle yo in crazy rich asians and like saw this like all asian cast and decided that maybe asians were maybe it was time for asians to like have a foothold in hollywood and so it kind of brought him back into it and then i actually like spoilers for how I feel about this movie, but I think he's like one of the best parts of the movie. He's like his role makes me like, I think that his performance is incredible. He makes me cry. Like I, I mean, I, you know, I'm a man, I don't cry, but, <laughs> but it makes me wish I could cry. It makes me wish I hadn't lost my tear ducts in Vietnam. You know what I mean? Um, I, uh, you know, you can laugh out loud and let people think that you, let people know that you think I'm funny. As soon as you say something, everybody who listens to this podcast thinks that you don't think I'm funny, but I know that you're just laughing off mic. It it takes a lot to make me laugh out loud. It takes surprise. Yeah. So that was funny. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah. So those are the three main people. Uh, the fourth person that's very big in this movie is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Is in this movie. Uh, inexplicably um and one of the weirdest roles you've seen her take on ever and i think she's really good at it um and yeah that's i mean that's basically it i mean otherwise it's a lot of uh it's a lot of background actors or extras um james hong real quick plays gong gong the grandfather in this movie um he you'll know him as like the voice of the goose that's posed dad in the kung fu panda movies um he's in uh big trouble in little china i mean he's a very famous actor he's a he was in friends at one point as john favreau's martial arts trainer and he's just in everything um he's he does a really good job in this as well and then also jenny slate is like the only other name of note in this movie which people may know from uh i don't know that amazon movie i want you back she's in a lot of comedies and she's in parks and rec stuff like that but overall like this is a really small film you know like it's about a three-person family kind of figuring out their issues really that's that's it that's that's the whole story right and then (laughs) <laughs> it just gets weirder from there basically um so yeah it's exactly what you said right they're telling a small story and they're they're telling it in the most complicated way and somehow it still really works right and what's interesting about it is no matter how complicated it gets like overall it's very simple it's a daughter is dealing with like depression and uncertainty and pulling away from her parents in her early 20s and her it's her mom who's realizing that she's been lost dealing with her own problems for so long that she hasn't been present in people's lives that she should have been present in and it's them trying to find their way back they, they talk about it at the beginning like is there a way back can i find my way back to normal right and i think it's just that that's a very relatable concept specifically for me i'm constantly lost in my own head symptom of having ADHD I guess I don't really know don't like to blame that for my issues but I am constantly overthinking every possible scenario and I get lost in the present sometimes and this movie kind of serves as a reminder that like we have to choose to be present right and I just think that that's an important message and it's the main reason I wanted to I just decided that we were going to talk about it today when I was like I watched it again and I we have to see we have to talk about it I've seen uh this film 
I, I like to go browse subreddits of films after I've seen them, especially ones that make as big of an impact on me as this one. And a lot of people seem to think that, you know, Evelyn's story through this is basically the equivalent of an adult being diagnosed with ADD. I, I was trying to explain it to I, I've tried to explain my wife does not have ADD and like I try to explain why sometimes in conversation I just like change topic mid-sentence and like I'm sure people who listen to this podcast will <laughs> agree that I do that um and like I was trying to explain to her why that is why I do that and it's like the only metaphor I can think of is that it's like someone sat on the channel button on a remote control and so the channel is just constantly being changed in my head and so my my sentences just kind of follow that you know it's just like i'll be talking about something very very specifically and then immediately just like change topic to like a bird i saw earlier today that i had never seen before or something for no reason and like this movie really like nails that and i've never seen anyone really like I've never been able to relate it. And I was telling her yesterday when I was watching it with her, I was like, this is what I'm talking about. This is it. This is, that's what it's like. It just feels like this. So yeah, I agree with that, uh, that description from Reddit. Thank you, Reddit, for just your, your always <coughs> apt descriptions. Uh, By the way, if I don't edit out all these coughs, I just want everyone to know Jeff has COVID. <laughs> I do. Unfortunately, I got it at a concert last weekend. Um, <clears throat> was it worth it? Would you do it again? uh go to the concert yes yeah and get covid like would you, you know what so 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 i am missing out on a bachelor party this weekend but then i found out that also what i'm missing out on is that third eye blind dropped a and new tour with taking back sunday and they're yeah. playing at the catalyst last night yeah and they're playing in portland on wednesday and so, i just found out about it yesterday and i'm like what those are two of my favorite bands of all time so, so third eye blind <laughs> is my favorite band of all time and they only ever play in the bay area maybe once a year and they didn't announce this in advance i look at like third eye blind tour dates like every three months and this one just announced like a month ago and uh i knew i was gonna be able to make it but then i was Should've like I'm just on. gone bro she's just gone <laughs> <laughs> give, give steven jenkins just a huge hug um yeah. go just like kiss adam lazaro on the cheek <laughs> yeah <clears throat> Um, um yeah man i i just found out about that yesterday and was very upset because i looked and it was like sold out and it's on a wednesday so it's like i'm, I'm gonna like show totally up to work it. on thursday and just like feel like shit i'm so old i can't do that anymore when i did I, when i went and saw i mean this is just now a, a concert podcast um see i, I told saw, you this is what happens when two people with add start talking when, about this movie specifically <laughs> yeah um anyway um so yeah back to the film um <laughs> So I'm curious, what did your wife think of the film? Out of the three times you've watched it, how much of the film was she able to finish? So she's only watched it once now. Yesterday okay. was the first time. Um, and she liked it. She said the same thing I said after the first time I watched it, which was, I'm surprised at how complicated the movie is and yet simple to follow. Like, you don't really get lost. You know, the movie does a very good job of explaining the multiverse, what the conceit of traveling the multiverse is, what happens when they're traveling the multiverse. And then after that, it's just kind of like, all right, now you get that all these people are doing all of these things and why they're doing them. And then that's what's happening and how they can do those things. And it's just like a very simple mechanism for a very complicated concept. Right. Um, so I think, she, you know, from what I understand, she liked it. <laughs> Although I constantly, whenever we see a movie that's very important to me, I do that thing that film 
nerds get made fun of all the time where i'm just like did you like it did you what did you think like did you like it i just can't stop asking her like what about your favorite part part? my favorite part yeah but what what did you think about this part did you understand this part what did you pick up from this like blah 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 blah. what did you get this symbolism this way or which way did you put it yeah no totally on your fourth showing (laughs) on your fourth showing that's really going to make a lot more sense yeah yeah what what you really need to do is watch it three times because then you pick up on the fact that on the way to the irs office they pass a sign twirler spinning the same pizza sign that michelle yo's character is spinning when she goes into the multiverse that's how you know she saw that and then that's why she goes to that universe where she became that spot and yeah so she hates me um we won't be talking for the rest of today i'm just kidding um but yeah i um she liked it. She liked it. I mean, I don't, I don't think it hit with her the same way that it did with me, but there's very specific points in the movie that uh, we will address that like really get me, which is why I felt sure. like we needed to talk about it even like three months after it's been out and, you know, second time we've seen it. The main reason I wanted to talk about this actually is I think that anybody who listens to this podcast, like if you have not seen this movie, like I, I really think you should. I'm even there's a there's a very real possibility that you're not going to like it as much as Jeffrey and I, but I think it's important for a few specific points. First, you've never seen anything like this before. There's nothing like I've never seen any movie that is does what this movie does as successfully as as this movie does. There are movies like um Cloud Atlas and things like that where they try to do this exact same mechanism where they tell one story over you know multiple different time periods or different universes or whatever and um none of them have ever succeeded in the way that this movie does right um that's the first point second point this movie has a very small cast of relatively unknown asian actors who put in extremely good performances obviously michelle yeo's a legend of cinema specifically Chinese cinema, but like she's made her way into the U S and is incredible here and has a great, has had a great career here, but like Ki Hai Kwan was almost forgotten. Right. Um, this Stephanie Sue actress, um, I'm assuming that's how I pronounce her name. Uh, I apologize if that's incorrect, but uh, she's it's pronounced like shoe. There you go. Yeah. Stephanie Shu. She is, she does a great job as this like, you know, 20 something daughter who's lost her way. Um, but the main part about it is, when have you seen an all Asian cast in this sort of sci-fi action adventure mm-hmm. that is portrayed in a way that is so sympathetic and like completely understands like the situations that they're in and is able to relay their experiences in a way that can be relatable to two white men in their early thirties to mid twenties to early thirties. And like, we understand where they're like this 50 year old woman's life like what she's done with her life and like the reasons that she feels stagnated. Like, how can you, like, I don't understand how they did that. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that it's important that people go and see this because this is like a feat in filmmaking. And I keep talking about this and I have since it, I, okay. I'm just gonna have to come out and say it. I think this movie might've upset my favorite movies of all time. This might be in my number one now. I think it, it just knocked uh casino royale out of the top spot for me because i just i really can't stop thinking about it and like the more i think about it the more i like it and somehow i don't know it's just it's crazy i think everybody should watch it 
Do you have any more notes? Maybe we I can just stop talking notes. about how good yeah. it is and we can just so, talk so about So for the movie. me, I <laughs> wanted to talk about the choreography. I want to talk about two things that I learned <clears throat> during this film. I well, during the rewatch specifically cuz I watched the film and I loved it. Watched it the second time with more of a critical eye and more questions and and such. Uh, first thing I learned is that when they wrote the script, the two key characters, the protagonist, the the man and wife, owners of the laundromat, the character names that they wrote were both Michelle and Jackie. Yep. And Jackie Chan was supposed to be the main character. Exactly. Yeah. I, um, I, I read about that um, like immediately after I saw the movie in the theaters. I like just started Googling everything I could find out about it. And yeah, like I read some interviews where they were like, yeah, initially we wanted Jackie Chan. Yeah. Like, fuck. That would have been pretty cool. Actually. But I think, but uh, what I want to point out is that I don't know if Jackie Chan would have done a better performance because. He absolutely then Michelle Yeoh or then Ki Hwan. So originally it was. It I was think they would have been be, great as Michelle. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Jackie, what in the original draft of the script, is the main character. So oh, really? he would have been Michelle's space, right? And um, as they kept drafting and drafting and drafting, they kind of realized that this story is better suited toward towards her. Sure. Um, and to be honest, like I think Jackie Chan would have crushed it as the husband in I like in either capacity. I think he would have been really great in the other way. Give me around, give me, you know what I mean? If just, he's the main character. Cut and, Michelle out completely and just give me Jackie and Kihai Kwan as, as a gay Asian yeah. couple. <laughs> that, I mean, that would have worked, but um, I honestly don't think that, I think they made the right choice. I think that this version of it yeah. is the way that it should have been. I think that, the, I think that their drafting process really kind of, shined the pearl as it were. Um, <laughs> I agree. Um, so, so there's that aspect of what the original casting was, but I think that the original cast is somehow this just like, um, uh, uh, what's it called when something's, uh, uh, like perfect, um, uh, accidentally. Uh, kismet. I don't know. Like no. they're destined to be together. No, there's a, there's a movie about it with, um, John, John Cusack. Um, uh, high fidelity nope <laughs> it's a word that means exactly what I want to I think it starts with an S uh, anyway synchronicity no okay him. you gotta stop you're fucking me up uh, regardless uh, I think the casting was perfect oh oh uh, say anything <laughs> god damn it but that's shut, John Cusack and it shut, starts with an S <laughs> shut the fuck up uh, they make fun of it in the Lego Batman movie um Anyway, okay. anyway. Um, you got me fucked up now. Uh, the other thing that I think is, is really, really cool is the choreographers on this film. Um, I don't know if you went into the choreography aspect, but there are two people who were the choreographers are brothers named Brian and Andy Lee, um, who basically just dedicated their life into to martial arts and stunts and choreography. Uh, they really got to cut their chops on into the band La- into the Badlands, which is I think a show that I know that you and I have both watched to some extent. Um, I watched the first two or three seasons. I know you watched like one. Um, really fun choreography in that show on AMC. And um, sorry, which which show did you say? Into the Badlands. Oh yeah, I watched all of that. It's alright. It's, it's the choreography is a really good highlight from from that show. Um, I'm gonna Andy be honest, Lee. Jeff. I'm looking at John Cusack's uh, serendipity. Serendipity—that's the word. Uh, okay, he's in a lot of movies that start with S. You, you sure you're not thinking uh, that the term is shadows and fog? You or... know what? That was the one. 
Now you or can fuck off. Stand by me. Yep, that 16 was the one. Candles. Uh, Summerland. You know Suicidal Tendencies music video. Trip at the Brain. Was it that one? Did you know that 16 Candles was originally supposed to be Viggo Mortensen? That, that Molly Ringwald in the screen test, Viggo Mortensen took the initiative and kissed her. And so she was like, that's the one. He's he's the one. He's the, the guy that we want to play that role. And then the directors were like, ah, we're looking for someone more boyish. So they went with um, John Cryer. John, John, John Cusack. <laughs> so. Uh, Andy Lee also portrayed the badass character of the Death Dealer in Shang Chang Chi. He's the dude with all the makeup mm. that you were mm-hmm. like, I need to see more of that guy. Yeah, uh, it was a cool character that they just like wiped off. Yeah. So him and his brother are both just martial arts experts that ended up landing the choreography gig for this film. And again, they fucking nailed it. Yeah, um, really good. I, I don't know how closely they worked with the writers but i just feel like the choreographers the directors and the writers were all in the same wavelength for this film which isn't always uh doesn't always happen and they just were able to deliver this spiritual continuation throughout the film from scene to scene where they were able to just get the vibe right in every single scene where if it's serious it's serious if it's funny it's funny um and overall they really did a a fantastic job um one of the other things that I noticed on my second rewatch is their ability to incorporate sound seamlessly into the film. Like there's a moment that I really appreciated that I didn't, I, and I understood what was going on, but I didn't pick up on it the first time, which was, there's a moment we're getting it into specific scenes here and spoilers now where, um, uh, the protagonist, Evelyn, uh, sh- uh, changes, uh, what's it called? Verse jumps for the first time and connects to a singer that has good lung capacity and in that moment, you see her momentarily take over that, that her as a, a singer, an opera singer. And the music that she's performing as the opera singer sets the score for the fight scene of her now holding her breath and fighting through the sleep gas um, of the army of people waiting on the other side of the vault. Um, and I was like, that's so brilliant. Like, obviously, I recognized what was going on the first time. But now that I'm thinking of hearing the music and seeing her fight to one classical music, who the fuck sets a fight to classical music? Um, let alone, I don't know if it was actually her singing. I'd be very surprised if it was. But if it was, damn, she's got chops. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was just really impressed overall. Let's talk about <laughs> the score for a second. Um the score actually sparked in me like this weird deep dive into this like indie electronica stuff that um that these artists that so the artists who do the soundtrack for this movie and did the score the, the entire score um was a band called sunlux s-o-n-l-u-x um i looked them up afterwards and got like really deep into their 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 discography and then started like listening to related artists uh, that they toured with and stuff and um this score is very interesting because it's it's very um how how do i put this it's it like adapts to whatever you're seeing right it's not just like john williams just doing like a just like a classical like symphonic you know this is this is padme's theme and it's just like a softer symphonic orchestra right like it's this is like three dudes in a room with a computer being like, okay, this guy's coming in and he's going to be like smashing on cubicles with like lead pipes. Let's make a song. That's just like very heavy drum beats. You know what I mean? And then um, when she's fighting this girl, who's wielding a a Pomeranian on a leash as if it's like a mace, like let's, let's do like this, like really crazy sort of like jungle theme, you know? And 
this score i've never heard of score that quite adapts to the movie the way that this one does and like they do go from like classical to this very like electronic um i don't know like intense dance beat almost like driving techno beat to like this very beautiful um soundscape when she's trying to rescue her daughter at the end from diving into her black hole of depression or whatever um i just yeah i really liked it i hope that sunlux get like more interesting score like compote come blah get to create the music for more movies that's 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 what i was trying to say sorry my eloquence just fell out of me um yeah what did you think of that jeff no i think the score is score is incredible um I already touched on the scene that that probably affected me the most. I know that you and I have had a conversation in the past. I don't. I, I was listening for it um, this time. Tyler told me a theory that they brought in a band to come in and re-record. Old no, it's music. not a theory. I read an interview with the with the singer from that band. I see. Um, and I was listening for it multiple times, and I only I maybe it played briefly in the car when they when they shift, but um, I I did not hear it a third time. It's four times or no three times. So. So he met, so, okay. So it's, um, absolutely is the name of the song story, story like parenthetical story, story of, a of a girl. There you go. I cannot remember the name of the band, but, um, counting crows, I think. No, it's definitely not counting crows. How dare you? Um, I, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, story of a girl, um, Kihai Kwan uses it's called like, nine days, nine days. Um, he quotes lyrics of that song just like in a standard conversation. Apparently, Daniel Kwan, when he was doing one of his drafts of the script, put that in as placeholder text. And then the more he read it, the more he was like, no, this has to be in the movie. So he just reached out to the guy who sang the song, who's like a he's like a teacher now. And the guy was like, yeah, dude, totally. I don't care. That's totally fine because he's going to get paid off of it anyway. He's like, yeah, fuck it. I don't care. Put it in my put it in the movie. Uh, I'll make money off that. And then they were like, hey, we'll pay you extra if you'll come, it's like an alternate universe movie. Like, will you record a couple versions of it? And he was like, yeah, totally. So they rented out a studio and he just recorded different versions of it. So the first time you hear it, she verse jumps into like a, just the next dimension over where she gets in the car with her husband and they talk about divorce. And in the background, they're playing a country version of it. And it's like very slow, like country ballad. And then, um, the other time, I think there's two other times you hear it. Um, but the other one that's very important is when they go into the Rakakuni dimension where uh, Harry Shum Jr. is the, being controlled by a raccoon while he's cooking. He, uh, it's playing in the restaurant and the song is all about having a raccoon on your head controlling your every move. <laughs> it's like a really weird version of it. <laughs> and the thing is, you could find those on Spotify. The, the other versions are on Spotify. They're only like 30 seconds long. They're not like a full song or whatever, but um, you can find them. It's pretty funny. Um, Fun. So yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah. So I think that the, just their ability to have fun with every aspect of this film, right? Like the fight scenes are action-packed, deadly serious, but at the same time, you've got full-grown men fucking diving through the air to shove okay. something up their butt. I want to talk about this. <laughs> what is the best action fight scene in this movie? And why is it the scene where the dudes are trying to stick things in their butts? 
Um, and also, is it just me or do you really wish that they just hadn't blurred out the guy's dick and balls and taint area when he's jumping through the air? Because I genuinely was like, I was like, the one, the one thing I wanted in this scene is just a man fully knees up to the chest, just asshole flying at the screen. <laughs> I mean, we got most of that. You and I want different things for this film. Um, it's blurred. It's blurred. I wanted. I, they should have been brave enough to just like dick out through the rest of that fight scene because they I, have it all blurred out. I think I he should have been wearing pants. <clears throat> I think it would have been funny the other way, but um, yeah. If, great. Um, that is and like the choreography in that where she's moving the weird butt plug statue around the desk so the, and the guy's like trying to s- sit down on it and they're like fighting as she's moving it around i thought that that yeah. was really cool um actually reminded me a lot of uh like an older jackie chan kind of fight scene like back in like rush hour one era yep. jackie chan um kind of stuff and uh yeah i would have you know i I really like that a lot and it 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 kind of brought me back to those old martial arts films that i really love and um yeah that scene is very funny um that that bit of the movie is very non-stop too it's just like they go from the smoke the smoke fight scene with the shield to the pomeranian fight scene to the drummer boy fight scene to the butt plug fight scene like it just like it's just like boom 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 just like over and over and over again really great like no stopping there and yet somehow in this movie where it is very like white knuckle going constantly never stopping never letting up they do pull back and give you moments where a mother and a daughter are just rocks and you're just reading their text on screen there's no sound there's just these two rocks it's just like this, this, this steady cam shot of just two rocks talking to each other somehow. Um, and like those moments are the most poignant moments in the film, really, because what you're reading is like this daughter basically saying, like, I'm lost. I don't know. I don't have any. I can't find the meaning in life anymore. And the mom being like, if you keep going, I'll, I'll be there with you. Like, I'll do it with you, you know? And it's just like this very... Uh, like it's sad but in like a very hopeful way you know i don't it just there's just so much hope and heart in this crazy crazy movie i can't i just i have a hard time understanding how they accomplished it really like i just don't know um let's talk about uh some of the metaphor here um what did you interpret like the black hole and like the googly eyes and all of that. Like, did you understand or pick up on any symbolism around these sorts of things? Sure. I mean, so I've mentioned this on podcast before, but uh, I went and got a degree in liberal arts. Part of my studies were in philosophy. Uh, and so there's two major themes that are being explored through this film. Uh, the first film, and then, and, and <clears throat> from a narrative standpoint, Evelyn is presented for the first third of the film as a, uh, vessel, right? They really explain that she doesn't have any applicable skills, <clears throat> and because of that, she's able to just absorb everything, which makes her this perfect vessel to go out and become this uh, verse jumping um, <clears throat> being that can be everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once. Now, because of that, once she does expand her consciousness, the first person that she is affected by is her daughter who basically introduces her to nihilism nihilism is the moral philosophy that nothing matters 
that because everything is going to end, nothing that you do matters. Nothing that you do has consequences because those consequences don't matter. Um, it's this very bleak and depressing way of looking at the world for most people. Some people think nihilism is very freeing. And, and that's where you get joy kind of infecting uh, Evelyn with this concept of nihilism. Now, Evelyn takes that nihilism and starts destroying the world around her. And every single verse that she jumps into, she just starts lashing out and breaking whatever was established as good in that world. Um, or at least adversarial to her. She just starts lashing out because she can't enjoy life anymore and might as well just make everyone else as miserable as she is. And then she gets confronted with her husband. You get this peak where she has faced with unlimited She's sitting there. Her husband is, is trying to help calm her down or confront her. And she is faced, you see, a, like a montage of just a million different opportunities of what she can do to him in that moment. And what she chooses to do to him is stab him, which is this ultimate symbolism of, of, now, of her descent into nihilism. Um, and then his response upon being stabbed is to turn and try and defend her from everyone else that's inside that universe trying to attack her because she's you know expanded her consciousness against their will. And she realizes that this guy's got endless optimism and that his googly eyes and, and his endless optimism. And then of course his um, very, very poignant speech in the successful film universe um, is all about absurdism, the benefits and the tenets of absurdism, which is basically an expansion upon nihilism that says, yes, nothing matters, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy the things that do matter. You can make, something matter because all of the things that are bad in your life don't matter, but you can still find value in all of the things that you would enjoy and that enjoying something is itself valuable. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly the read that I think you're supposed to take away from it. I mean, the daughter represents like this person that's sort of like the everything bagel. There's a reason that it's just a black hole. And it's like this, like if you talk to someone with depression or like whatever, my own experiences with depression, um, that's sometimes how it feels. It's just like this like pit of despair, just like sucking everything out of you, all the joy and all the meaning out of your life. And you're just kind of like, why am I even trying? Everything I try just fails and everything sucks and blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's just, there's like a very visual metaphor for it in this everything bagel that looks like a butthole that's pulsing throughout the movie. And then the, the father's symbol, what you'll notice, is a googly eye. And so this ba everything bagel in the movie is this black ring with a white center. And the googly eyes are a white ring with a black center. So it's like a yin and a yang symbol there, right? So the daughter is equal, like showing you this path towards depression and nothingness and a lack of meaning and hatred, right? And the father is representing this path towards towards optimism basically and accepting that even though nothing matters to like in the grander scheme of things things can still matter to the individual and they can still be important so like you have to be present and choose to allow things to to affect you in a positive way right and like yeah sure like in the grand scheme of things like me kissing my wife goodbye in the morning means nothing to the greater universe or time as it stands right but it means something to my wife and that's still important because she's important too, right? And like choosing to to find meaning and find value, it, it's a choice that you have to make. And I think that that's really the message of the movie, right? And it's that moment where that, that this shit gets me 
I literally, this is the part that almost makes me cry and in the, in the cinema where like, she's talking about if they had chosen to be together and this is in the, in the, the universe where she doesn't go with him to America and she becomes a successful film actress and he becomes a successful businessman. So without each other, they both found a lot of success. And yet, even in that universe, they both just want to be with each other. And he says to her, in that other universe where we, I would have just been happy to do laundry and taxes with you. Like, I, that's okay. Like, I'm, I would give up all of this to have been able to do that with you. Just as much as I found joy here, I would have found joy there. And I'm like, that's exactly like the thing I have to constantly remind myself with my own struggles with depression and anxiety that I deal with on a daily basis is that like, I have to choose, I have to remind myself that I'm choosing this path. And like, even if it's not perfect, like there's still good things happening. It's not all bad. And like, there is still meaning and value in these things. And I just find that to be very relevant to like, at least my own experience It's as if they pulled something from my own head, because this is something I've talked to my wife about, you know, with my own struggles and so seeing it in a film like almost said in the exact same verbiage that i do obviously not in mandarin i don't speak mandarin but like the way that he said that i'm like holy shit like that's exactly the thing i say you know like i'm like no matter what i'm happy to do this with you even on our worst day you know <clears throat> yeah it just it really gets me and that's why i think i like kihai kwan's character so much because i'm like that like, i'm not an optimist in any way but like he's the version that i like constantly try to strive for it's just like this person who's trying to find the good in things and right. that part where she's torn everything apart and she like broke up her laundry mat and she's sitting there arrested and he gets he talks to uh jamie lee curtis's character and they, she lets her go and she says what did you do and he's just like i just tried i just talked to her i just tried to fix things and he's like i don't know how it worked but it did you know and i'm just like that's that's what this movie's about it's just it's not giving up it that's that that moment right there is like the whole movie in a nutshell she gave up because she was angry and frustrated and he didn't and because he didn't things are going to be okay they're not perfect they're not going to be everything's fixed but like they're at least going to be okay because if you don't give up, you just, you know, we kind of talked about this in another movie recently, didn't we? Like not giving up or whatever. Oh, that was when we were talking about the low, the comic book last week. Anyway. Mm. Yes. In the, the, in the episode, no one listened to. <laughs> um, anyway. uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, there's, so absolutely the father is what I think the, the soul of this movie in the sense that he represents what the character should be. He's the, he's the best character and not i mean that he's my favorite i mean that he is shown to be the the character like the, the best version of himself um well even in like sorry to, to take this away from you again but like even in like how we're introduced to him with the divorce papers he doesn't want a divorce he's basically showing her i've been trying all this time i right. can tell you're not trying so here's your option try with me or let's get divorced and you can go do your own thing. And when she signs those papers, it breaks him because she chooses to give up instead right. of to continue trying and working on it. And that's not what he wanted. He doesn't want the divorce. He like you can even see while he's holding the divorce papers, he's talking about them taking a trip together. Right. You know, like that's what he wants. He wants to be with her and he wants her he just wants her to try and be there with him and she doesn't understand that. She thinks that what he's saying is I want to give up, but it's just yeah, I just there's a lot in this movie. There's a lot. It's an onion. 
<laughs> it's everything. It's everywhere. It's all. <clears throat> um, um, I, I think that uh, the the other emotional impact, the one that gets me as well, uh, even though I can't relate to it because I don't have a child, but um, is the the mother daughter relationship here. I mean, there's there's just so many scenes that we see, and this is really what what the film is about: is uh, this universe essentially develops the ability to uh, take possess people in other universes. They call it the Alphaverse, and they essentially start training people to master these skills. And they find out that Joy of this universe has an innate ability. And so the Evelyn of this universe tries to capitalize on that ability and force her to be the strongest person that she can be, which ends up fracturing the daughter's mind. Now, the daughter is now forced into this concept of nihilism because she's literally being pulled in a million different directions um, and none of her decisions matter. And one of the things they don't explore in this film that I wish that they could have if they had had time is the fact that literally they don't show this, but her decisions can't matter because if she tries to take possession of a specific universe and make a specific decision... The choice of making a decision creates an alternate universe where she made either the opposite decision or just didn't choose to make that decision. Right. And then she has to experience both. So exactly. no matter what decision she makes, she's experiencing every outcome. Her decisions exactly. are literally meaningless. She doesn't have the choice of living a life anymore. I think they explore that as much as they could have because that's such a nebulous concept that is right. really hard to wrap your head around. The only time that and we like see all they do is it. say that all she has to say is if, if everything's happening at all times then no no one thing ever matters and like that's that's essentially exactly (laughs) what you're saying but in a sentence and that's all that they could really do because that's a whole documentary of just like two nerds talking in a room basically (laughs) or whatever this podcast is yeah i guess um (laughs) but yeah so the um we do see a, a simple glimpse when the when the mother evelyn you know dies uh about two thirds of the way through the film and then you see that she's also she's you know suddenly has expanded her consciousness successfully and does exist in this other universe um, where she has to decide of which stack to put the taxes in and she puts it on the left and then you see the, the world fracture and she also puts it on the right. Um, yeah, anyway, um, what we're seeing throughout the film though as the film kicks off is Joy is seen as this monster because she's running around killing all of these universes but what Joy is actually doing is trying to find people who are mentally capable of expanding their consciousness because she just doesn't want to be alone. And and I think they did a great job of not just making her a depressed person, but actually capturing this concept of depression, which is not wanting to be depressed anymore, right? Like the entire purpose of her trying to find the one who can expand her consciousness, which ironically is the exact same thing that the Alphaverse is doing, is... Joy just is looking for someone and she says it, which I think is one of the most powerful lines in the film, which is like, I was really hoping that you would see something that I wouldn't like, I don't want to have to kill myself, but this is like where all of my logical conclusions end. And so my last ditch effort was to try and find someone who can talk me out of it and you can't. And so let's go kill each other. Let's go kill ourselves together. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that that's exactly right. I think that she's, it's like that concept of misery loves its company, right? Like she's so lost because she doesn't feel like anyone understands her or can comprehend what she's, she's seeing. And so she's searching across the grand multiverse for the one who can. And she, when she finds her mom, she doesn't think she can. And then she does, then she finds out she can. And then she's like, okay, now explain to me why, why I shouldn't. And her mom's like, nope, you're right. We should. And then at the last second, it's the dad's glowing light, right? Yeah. That, there is something that you touched on there that I wanted to uh, bring up. The alpha verse 
is it's interesting that they consider themselves the alpha first because it's almost a metaphor in and of itself where they think they're more important than they are because they're calling themselves the alpha verse. Um, it's uh, once Jobu Tapaki descends into madness and depression, everybody in the alpha verse immediately starts trying to kill her. Like they, they want to end her. And it's, it's sort of a metaphor like, I had a lot of friends growing up who got like really deep into like drugs and people around them just started giving up on them immediately because they just, they just, they were like, I can't, I can't be dragged down with you. And it seems like this is almost a metaphor for like people who, you know, suffer for that drug use or just depression. Because I know for a fact that like sometimes having depression and like having bad days, people start to kind of like move away from you because they don't want you bringing them down or harshing their vibe or whatever, you know? And like, it's kind of a constant struggle of like, how much of myself should I show? Or like, how much should the person with depression show? Whatever, not to make this all about me. Um, But it is interesting when the grandfather's like, no, 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 we have to kill her because like, she's the worst. And the mom's like, no, what if we just like tried to connect with her? Like, there's gotta be other ways to fix this. You know, like there's got to be another way. It can't just be give up, right? Cut your losses and run. And uh, I think that that really resonated for me this time, the second time watching it, where I was just like, oh, I see. Like everybody else has just kind of like given up on her. And like her mom's just kind of like, no, there's still good there. It's the Anakin and Luke Skywalker thing, actually. Where everyone's like, no, he's evil. He killed babies. And Luke's like, but I mean, maybe he's cool. I don't know. Let's try um anyway i did i did uh i did like that i also like the grandpa's like mech suit it looks like a rick and morty mech suit it's like powered by a coffee machine and shit <laughs> pretty funny yeah. um i i think one of the things that i wanted to talk about that i was just blown away with both times is when you expand into this idea of a multiversal film you have to be overwhelming to some extent and i think that Doctor Strange didn't do this and this movie did was there is at least a solid 30 seconds where you just see Evelyn dead center frame switch through like 200 yeah. universes. Yeah. They just, just like over, keep, over they're flashing and some of them she's wearing like full alien makeup and like all kinds of different, she's like an armadillo in one of them is yeah. Very weird. It is so overwhelming. So much visual and some of like some incredible cinematography that you literally see for half a second just like brilliant sunlight and distant planets and amazing starscapes and just incredible makeup incredible hair incredible costuming and it's just like boom 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 and it's just literally this infinite multiverse that they're able to get across in 30 seconds that other films that do this idea of jumping from universe and, you know, showing, Oh, look, we're in an animated world and look, we're in a two dimensional, like, sure. I get it. But this one really drives the point home and beats you over the head with it. And I loved it. Um, yeah. And if you're going to make a film about a multiverse, you got to include something just crazy overwhelming like that. Yeah. It would have, it, it, it's crazy that we got this low budget multiverse movie. And then we got this massive budget Marvel multiverse movie. And this one, the low budget one is somehow like the better version. You know, it just doesn't seem like it should have been possible, but they, they just really, they accomplished it in a way that just is very impressive. Um, Cool. There's just one last thing I really wanted to touch on here, which is the bit where 
they tell Evelyn that the version that the world, the universe that she's in is the world where she's living her worst life because she literally didn't get good at any of the things that she had the capacity to get good at. And then, but because she was the worst version, she's the best version because she's, she has this great capacity to do anything because she hadn't done anything with her life. And it's that, that idea of like, even the version of you that is the shittiest, most rundown, most depressed and lost version of herself can still be the most important person. You know, like in Harry Potter or like all these other versions where it's like, you're destined for great things because you're just the best at all of this shit. I like that in this one, it's like, no, 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 you're terrible. Like you're the worst person. You, you made the worst decisions. You just didn't do anything. You never committed to anything. You never accomplished anything. And yet somehow you're still capable of so much. And I think that that's probably the most hopeful message that's in the film. And it's just, again, sort of brushed over. Like, it's not like they, they don't sit there and just like keep telling her that she's amazing. They just say, you're the worst version, but you have the capacity to be the best. And then they just move Move on on. and show her being the best. And And I I like that they don't hold your hand or just like constantly just mention, you're the only one that could do this or whatever. It's just her making sure, like, they tell her once and then she makes the decision to be the best. And I think that that's important. I also think one of the things that I picked up on is the the dichotomy, the the split, because while Evelyn, the Evelyn that is capable of of expanding consciousness, is this one that that is you know has no applicable skills, the joy that is capable of expanding her consciousness was the exact opposite. She was this incredibly gifted person that had drive and commitment and passion towards this thing. She was like this perfect soldier that was driven through duty to her family and and this innate ability that she had that ended up costing her this great thing uh, this and, and forcing her into this uh, form of existence that she couldn't handle but yeah the, I wonder the if that's a commentary being... there's a commentary there on like on like uh, there's like a depression that comes with success in that like, you drive and you drive and you drive and, and like try to be the best at something and then once you become the best at something it's not like you get like like you, even if like, an, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, when he got his Academy Award, do you think that that was like fulfilling to him in any way? Like he was like, oh, OK, I got this. And like now everything's better and everything in my life is perfect. And like there's this like accomplishment or whatever. Or do you think he was just like, well, that's cool. And then he put it on his shelf and then just fucking, you know, argued with his girlfriend the next day or whatever. So there's something we should talk about there because there, there's people that I've known that have uh, it's going to get dark for a second we talked about depression uh and now we're going to talk about suicide because suicide is a key component of this film um one of the most common times for someone to attempt to commit suicide is after achieving something they've been working for because you expect you have all these expectations you put all these hopes into what you will feel like even subconsciously of what you will feel like after you achieve this thing that once you've achieved it if you don't feel the elation or the satisfaction if you think there's actually a good film that, that covers this topic of um, as good as it gets. It's a Jack Nicholson film, um, which says, you know, what if this is as good as it gets, right? I worked, I dedicated the X many years of my life, X amount of hours, X amount of effort into achieving this thing. Now that I've achieved it, I really don't feel any different. Is there anything I can do with my life that will actually able to allow me to feel the things that I want to feel? And that's, that's literally one of the lowest points in, in a human's life is, is typically this come down of achieving this great success. Um, 
And there's many people that either suicide survivors talk about it, but there's also a lot of people that successfully kill themselves after achieving this, this, you know, event because they, it, it really throws life into perspective. Well, that's that metaphor that I was talking about with the black hole where it's just yep. like, there's, it just feels, I know that this is something that I am constantly aware of in myself where that I'm like constantly <laughs> picking up new hobbies new things i'm reading i'm trying to learn everything about something or I'm, I'm trying to do something because it just feels like there's just missing pieces inside me like i just don't feel like i'm doing enough and so i'm always taking on extra work at my job or extra hobbies around this and then also having to do things with my wife and blah 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 and then i feel like i'm being torn in so many different directions because it's just like overcommit because i feel like i don't have enough inside me to like keep me going or whatever yeah okay this is becoming a therapy session i'm gonna cut all that stuff out but that metaphor of the black hole with the everything bagel is that right like she's saying like there's something missing here like this is this emptiness i put everything inside of this bagel and it's not enough basically like and i think that that's kind of that metaphor of depression like she's clearly like I mean, I, I don't, I, this must be like extremely obvious to everyone else, right? I, I can't assume, I can't. No, it is. I, I, it'd be it crazy is. if it was just me. Let, that's that, that's what I keep saying is, is what I love about this film is it is such a simple story. It's literally about a mom that is struggling to, to, you know, control her life. She, um, she can't be present. She can't figure out how to just be there for the people that need her. Right. The daughter that's struggling with, with depression and identity, um, a dad that's looking for love and you know all of those things just come to a head in this film and it is such a simple concept that the film delivers in the most complicated way um, and yet it's so easy to follow and it all makes sense and there's just so many layers that i just keep unraveling and pulling at but yeah okay, awesome cool well i think we can uh wrap it up if you listen to this whole thing without having seen this movie i don't know what's wrong with you <laughs> just go yeah I don't know. You better. I just hope that other people like it. And I, I, I read an article that was talking about how they think that this movie is going to sweep the Oscars next year. And I hope that's true, but I just don't think that this is the kind of movie that typically does well in the awards contentions, but I think it's only going to get that kind of consideration if a lot of people go and see it. So if you have seen this movie and you agree with our thoughts on it, um, recommend the movie and then tell your friends to listen to this podcast about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> shameless plug there uh let's move on to uh to what's clever yeah sure i'm gonna let you um, go because you did a lot more this week than i did i watched i watched five movies last week um <clears throat> like like we said i'm sick and so i have a lot of time to uh to myself um i watched jurassic world dominion in theaters before uh yeah, with my parents um last weekend and uh it's awful. Don't go see it. Um, I I hated Jurassic World. I hated. I, I actually did mind Jurassic World. I hated Jurassic World Extinction or whatever the second one was. So I did not have high hopes. My parents were like, "Let's go see it," and I was like, "Fine." Fallen Kingdom it. is that what it was called? It was a Fallen Kingdom. No, I thought Fallen Kingdom was Jurassic World. Jurassic Park Two. No, that's the Lost World. Lost World. I thought that was Jurassic Park Three. No, that one's just called Jurassic Park Three. Yeah, there's no subtitle for that one. I read okay. the books. Don't just trust me. <laughs> okay, Crichton. Um, so, um, yeah, Jurassic World Dominion. It's awful. It's there's there's just nothing redeeming about this film. They bring back the worst part of the second of the second film, which was that they invented a, a dinosaur that can attack on command, <clears throat> and the command is that you have to hit someone with a laser pointer. 
So what they do is they put laser pointers on guns. And so you point a gun at somebody and then you activate the laser pointer and it sticks a dinosaur on it. Instead of just pulling the trigger. Instead of just pulling a fucking trigger. Then this lumbering beast comes running at them and they have time to run away. I do like this idea of a laser-guided dinosaur being like the height of technology and warfare. Yeah. It's it's um, fucking hysterical, dude. I was like, why not? I did not see trigger? this movie, but yeah, I've just never seen something lose as much steam as the Jurassic Park franchise is capable of doing. Because like Jurassic Park 1 is great. Jurassic Park 2, fine. Jurassic Park 3, trash. Jurassic World, good. Jurassic World 2, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I could not tell you the plot of that movie if I tried. Jurassic Park, three, Jurassic World 3, Fallen Domin- Dominion, whatever it's called. I just... I, I don't even think I've watched a single trailer. I like I can't find the motivation to even give a shit about it. I don't know if I'll ever watch this movie. It just they lost so much. Like I liked Jurassic World like enough that I was like, "Cool, I'm excited to see what they do with this." And then Fallen or yeah, Fallen Kingdom came out and I just I couldn't even bring myself to go and see it in theaters somehow. And then this one, I'm like, I can't even watch a trailer. I'm so not interested in it. And I love Jurassic Park one. It's like one of the best movies, I think. It's awesome. And yeah, they just, they've completely ruined that franchise in a way that like, honestly, what they ruined it by giving it sequels. Like it just didn't need a sequel. Jurassic Park one is solid. If you're going to give it a sequel, Jurassic Park two Lost World is fine. But then Jurassic Park 3 is so unnecessary and useless. It just doesn't make any sense. I don't, anyway. Um, yeah, three three highlights from this film. I'll sit wrap it up in 15 seconds. One, we get to see Chris Pratt wrangle a dinosaur with a lasso, like a 3,000-pound dinosaur with his bare hands. That's fun. Uh, hey, we people see, do it with cows, so that's believable at least. Uh, fuck no, it isn't. Uh, we, see him prom- we see him make a verbal promise to a raptor, and the raptor accepts the promise. Um we also see him have magical powers that he transfers to his friends where his little palm technique, which they explained in the first film, uh, only works because he has known those raptors since the day they literally popped out of the eggs and he imprinted on them. Now it works on all manners of vicious creatures. It just takes five people standing in the circle with their palm out in order to stop millions of years of predatorial programming. Uh, we also get to see a T-Rex time up with a team up with another dinosaur to murder an even bigger dinosaur they're, they're now forming squads um it's it's a wild ride and never see it don't ever fucking see it um okay uh last night my my roommate showed me a movie called mr right on netflix anna kendrick and sam um rockwell uh we talked on pod a couple weeks ago about night and day a fun like spy trope uh this one's totally same vein a little bit more graphic a little bit more ridiculous uh, sadistic and ridiculous but it's also shorter and more succinct so yeah uh, i like this movie but it's not i wouldn't say it's very good but it's it was it's worth watching it's a romantic comedy like an action romantic comedy that's fun um sam rockwell i think is very delightful i really like anna kendrick a lot um so the two of them together made sense It, it it's funny I'm pretty sure that the RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan is in it. <laughs> Isn't that okay. his, his I don't, buddy? I don't, I don't know what he looks like. Um, okay. Uh, I also watched Into the Spider-Verse again. Great film. If you haven't seen it, go see it. No excuses. The second one's coming out. Um, I watched West Side Story. 
uh, the new one with. Let's talk uh, about it. I haven't seen it, but okay. Get in there. Oh um, yeah, the RZA is in it. <coughs> Steve, his buddy Steve, that he keeps like. Saving. Oh, is that that's funny? Yeah, that's the RZA from Wu Tang Clan. Anyway, go ahead. Um, yeah, so West Side Story. Uh, honestly, I wasn't sure why this film needed to be remade because the original still holds up. I watched the original a year ago and um, felt I honestly did not feel like I recognized a new musical number. I felt like it was all just callbacks to the original. Well, and I don't think they, I don't, I mean, you don't remake, like you don't introduce new music into a, like an established classic like that. <laughs> I, be, I think the, that would be crazy if they did. I that. mean, it's one thing if you just want to go like on Broadway and, and do an additional, you know, show to it and make the original. But if you're going to make a film when people can still go watch the previous film, then what but is the isn't point the making- idea of updating with the new filming techniques, new performances, new choreography, new lighting, new graphics, new filters? Like, isn't it all of that? Maybe, That's but the, the choreography was modeled after the choreography of the original film so there was yeah, no which is based on the broad but that's based on the broadway choreography. sure but, the cho- but it's like, the way that they film the choreography jeff that's the reason but, i don't know like i just didn't feel like it was that much of a step up from the original that it needed to be made ultimately i enjoyed it but I, if you're looking for a performance you could probably just go if you've seen the original you probably don't need to see this one i, I did not find it that um uh compelling um also, my roommate forced me to watch Sonic last night because he's a huge Jim Carrey fan and says that right now the internet's going crazy over Sonic 2, um, which just got released on digital. And so he said, I couldn't watch Sonic 2 until I've seen Sonic 1. So I watched Sonic last night. Um, halfway through the film, or probably like two-thirds of the film, I turned to him and said, you know, I really didn't need to watch this film in order to understand the plot of Sonic 2. It probably couldn't have been that complicated. The, I already knew I've played Sonic games before. Um, but yeah. I hated it. <laughs> Not that it was a bad movie. It was a very good movie. It set out everything it was accomplished, but it was a children's movie and I did not enjoy it. Yeah, um, I tried to watch the first one uh, when it first came out on, I think they put it on HBO or something like that last year. And I put it on, got 20 minutes into it and was like, yeah, um, I just, I'd rather watch like Friends or something yeah, than this. Any, like I anything can't else. handle this. Yeah. So, but people seem to really like it. I don't know. Um, cool. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I watched, uh, failure to launch Matthew McConaughey and Sarah Jessica Parker, Bradley Cooper, Bradley Cooper. I was like, what the fuck? Bradley Cooper's in this movie. Just like, as like a side character, who's like really in tune with nature or something. Yeah. That movie sucks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) don't watch it. Um, What I love about that movie is, uh, like you get the opening montage or he like brings the girl home and introduces and realizes that yeah, it's Catherine Winnick from Vikings. And, and, uh, what I love, it cuts to the parents and they're narrating what's happening. And like the girl trips over the umbrella stand and she's like, the mother's like, I told you to move that shit. We're going to get sued. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy Bates and Terry Bradshaw is like, these like, as the parent, like what a cast this movie. So good. Zoe Deschanel is in it. And she's just like, she has like a whole subplot about wanting to a kill bird. a bird and yeah. then they kill the bird and then they bring it back to life. Yeah. I'm like, what is this movie? This movie is insane. The movie works on multiple levels. No, it doesn't. It's a bad <laughs> movie. It was a bad movie. It's not funny at any point. The final scene where they're watching them like have their like 
relationship battle or whatever while they're like tied to chairs or whatever and they're watching it at a sports bra on the big screen with like random patrons of the sports bra that was upsetting um yeah i don't know man i didn't <laughs> I, i'd seen the movie when it first came out i think on a date when i was in high school and i uh had forgotten pretty much every single part of it except for that sarah jessica parker was in it and matthew mcconaughey was in it what is the guy that plays his friend who is like the nerd or whatever? I, I don't know, but I know he's that the guy after. from National Treasure. Yeah. Yep. And he's in another Matthew McConaughey movie. Not Sahara, but one of those other ones, I think. Or maybe he's not. I don't know. He just No, seems he like, is. He's like the sidekick. No, I think it's just National Treasure, because he plays that role in National Treasure, the sidekick role. I don't anyway. Doesn't matter. What happened to that guy? He just like disappeared. He was just like that role in a bunch of movies. And then just like, oh, he's in the hangover movies with Bradley Cooper, actually. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, what happened to him? I don't know that actor's name, but like he was perfectly serviceable as like a kind of handsome like sidekick who gets shit on by the cool hot guy. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, there's not a, like a ton of rom-coms being pumped out like there were in the. Yeah, what happened to that? We need we, we need to have a return to the rom-com era. Um Anyway, don't watch it, and that's that's my recommendation. <laughs> Is that the only <laughs> film you watched? Uh, yeah. Um, the rest of my life is kind of just like preparing for baby, and then I've been working like long long days at work, and then when I get home, I boot up my work from home setup and keep working basically. So I've not had really any time for watching movies. Um, and plus Kelly's like tired at seven thirty now so we go to bed super early which is fine because i have to wake up early and get to work early so yeah that's my whole life anyway what do you if you did watch uh everything everywhere all at once you have to email us because i haven't gotten our instagram back yet i'm in the process I'm still figuring it out um if you did watch it please reach out to us let us know i want to hear other people's thoughts i want to hear your interpretation of things did you pick up on any symbolism that i missed or that jeffrey missed any philosophical concepts that you think that we should have discussed further um i'm really sorry that i talked about depression a bunch but it's kind of hard to avoid when you talk about this movie um hopefully everyone out there is doing well in portland it's been a hard time to have depression because we it is the it is the end of June and it has rained all my, <laughs> like, it, and it looks like it's just going to continue raining. We'll see. Eventually the sun will come out and then it'll be 115 and we'll have to deal with the wildfires. But anyway, hope everyone out there is doing well. And yeah, thanks for listening. Talk to you guys next week. Maybe Brian will let Brian have his microphone back next week. Brian, <laughs> quickly before we wrap up, did you have any thoughts? All right. Yeah, just really nothing. Do you have anything, Jeff? You look like you're waiting to say something. No, I was just waiting to say goodbye because you get mad at me every week that I don't. Go ahead. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Clever Kids Podcast. If you want more from us, be sure to follow us on social media. We're at Clever Kids Pod everywhere. Or you can get in touch with us at cleverkidspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And be sure to rate us on whatever app you're listening on and recommend us to a friend. We really appreciate it. Or don't. Whatever's clever. 